So we're in. So so here's what's interesting. So now I have to change my entire intro because, like, you. <laughs> I do. I had it all set up completely different in my head. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's rock. All right. So folks, welcome to this edition of the Pivot Play Podcast. I am Jay Anthony Thompson, and I am here with literally half of Twin Tone. <laughs> Productions, entertainment, publishing, because these dudes, what you see, and that's not the ghost of Gregory Hines, right? It's just absolutely <laughs> my man. <laughs> but he is one half of a duo of twin brothers who are authors, screenwriters, actors, filmmakers, like they into the biz deep. We've known each other for a long time. And so um, I seriously, dude, I, I really think I was um, maybe going through my bookshelf or something and I found oh, wow. book, which <laughs> I hadn't seen yeah, in a while. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, this was, and then we'll have to go back. So anyway, we got a lot of stuff. We've been talking for a minute while we've been trying to locate your brother. Yeah. Right, and this is gonna go out like this, so I want him every bit of embarrassment Absolutely. that comes from him not being here. I wish I so, wish it was something you could turn on in a car and listen to it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so do me so do me a favor for our audience. So let's go back and from your recollection of how um how we met. Do you remember? I do. Um I know it was I know it was through Darla. Um Darla Darla Mitchell was actually a um I met her through a film contest. It was called the 48-hour um, film festival. So you had to get together. You come to to a to a um, meeting spot, and you meet other filmmakers and writers and actors, and you actually pick teams and you go and make a film in two days and submit it. That's the contest. You have two days to make this film and submit it with people who mm -hmm. you just met or people we already know. So we met Darla at that event through a mutual friend, and she started working on some projects with us after the contest. And we used her house to shoot a couple of things. And um, so, yeah, we're moving on with some other projects. And then we started talking about, um, you know, music production and, and music composing for some of the projects. So lo and behold, she mentioned how she met you, which I'm not sure how that happened, but she mentioned you and she brought you to us. and. There we are. Okay. Okay. So I and see, I would have never put this story together like that. Yeah. I'm really horrible with stuff like that. Cause I thought I met you guys, I thought maybe through the plays, but she was a part of the play stuff. Okay. And the play stuff, right? The play productions. Mm -hmm. And so you're right. So it was through meeting her because I was uh I was writing, you know, composing and uh, musical director. Okay. For those for those plays, and she was involved somehow. I don't know how she got, but I just know she showed up. And okay. so there, so there, But we we've, we've done some stuff since then, right? Oh, so, yeah. um, uh, let's see. So between us, love. Between us, love. Yeah. All right. So to tell the audience what between us, love is. So we uh, between us, love was the story of um, twin brothers. Everything we write is always about twins because Hollywood refuses to write twin movies, so we write them. Um, <laughs> so it was about twin brothers. Uh, they were both police officers, and uh, the long and short of it was they both ended up dealing with the same woman who uh, got pregnant, and because our DNA is so close, she didn't know which brother the father was, and when uh, their daughter, whose name was Lo Lovely, is what they named her, when she was born, they kind of co-fathered her because her mom passed away and the brothers were sharing um, custody of the daughter. Uh, lovely, Love had a terminal illness. She had cancer and the brothers were taking care of her. Um, you know, so between us, love is kind of like love is between the two brothers. And mm -hmm. um, ultimately, you know, as the story unfolded, it was like love, the love between them was kind of getting lost because they were, one, the younger brother was still bitter about the whole relationship that his brother had on the side with um, with his 
Well, it, it, it's not a bad thing to be bitter about, but keep yeah, going. you know, keep I, going. I, I, keep I didn't going. get that. I should be sharing, share alike. I don't understand that. <laughs> no, like we, share, we share a womb. We can certainly share a woman. I don't understand this. It's, it's, wow. It's, yeah, you were saying it rather personal, man. I, don't, I really didn't get it. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I remember you composed two songs on the on the uh, on the soundtrack. You know, the 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 only two songs that there was on the soundtrack. Right. Um, yeah, and then all the other theme music. So you know, yeah. and I think that was actually the first film that I worked on. Really? Um, so yeah, yeah. So I appreciated the fact that you guys trusted me to to do that. And I have I every now and then I'll go back and listen to um to the song, you know, Love is Lovely. Oh, that's right. There was a second song, the one at the very end of the movie. Absolutely. You're exactly correct. Wow. Okay, see. Too. Yeah, but that was um so that was so that was cool. So that was the treasure, first thing. treasure of today and love is lovely. Yep. Yep. Those weren't those weren't bad songs, dude. They were they bad songs. They were not bad songs. Yeah, man. So, and I remember that was in a film festival. Um, so, but so, but take the audience back to I guess it's it's it really kind of starts here, right? It does. That was it's okay. funny because I'm trying to get this without all the the light. There you go. There you yeah. go. I'm, I'm not it's I'm not great with product placement. For years, we did exactly what you're a master of. We were into music. Mm-hmm. We rapped, you know, we, we eventually built our own studio. We started writing songs and producing music. So that is what we, if you would have asked us, you know, in our teenage years and in our early 20s, what we saw ourselves being, we wanted to be the next Babyface in LA, the next Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. The next, mm-hmm. You know, we wanted to be that writing, that songwriting duo. Right. Um, but we wrote, especially myself, I wrote everything. I wrote poetry, I wrote songs, I wrote raps, I wrote um, short stories. So I wrote everything. Uh, my brother had the idea. He came up with the idea of that book. Um, he actually wanted to. He we thought about making it a film first, but we had never made done movies before. Right. So I said, you know what? I'm reading a lot of a lot of um, urban novels right now. So I said, maybe you know we'll try the, the literary angle. So we wrote the book, um, and then it, it did so well, and people enjoyed it so much. My brother insisted. He's like, I'm telling you, man, it's gonna make it will make a good movie. We should try it. So we didn't know how to write screenplays. So I took took a couple courses, um, you know, got some books on it and taught myself a little bit about screenwriting. Mm-hmm. And we wrote the script and we actually submitted it online to a couple of um, like film.org and a couple of websites um, where people were looking for work that work right. in the industry. And we actually got like a full team that volunteered their time. We got actors that volunteered their time. Uh, once you start networking with people in that business, it's always someone who knows somebody who knows somebody in. We put the team together, and I think it was like a six-day shoot. We, we, we right. wrote the screenplay. We, we shot the film in like six days. And um, I think the most we've spent money on was probably like like craft services and costumes or something like that. But everybody volunteered their time, and we actually won two film festivals with the film. And it was our first time out the gate. But mm-hmm. I'm looking back on that film, and I look back on that screenplay, and I'm like, we won film festivals with this? Not that it was horrible, but I'm just looking at my growth. I'm looking at the... So yeah, I mean, go back and look. I mean, and but I think that if there were issues with that one, they were probably more technical. Probably, you know, color correction and sound. Like you can tell when you change, you know, cameras. And um, I remember when we were shooting. um, (laughs) Oh God! So remember, we were working with Tony Roberts, and we did the. uh, We were working on the pilot for for Darla and the Boys. Yes. and so I remember that we one of the things is we had different cameras. We didn't have the same cameras. And you could see the difference in the camera. You can you can see the difference. I wouldn't think that you would, but then you know, like just things are so much more sophisticated now. Yes. Um, just in terms of just being able to capture sound, right, for filming and things like that. Absolutely. Um, so how many films have you guys done? Right, and you never even introduce yourself. I don't know, just it's just rude to the audience. Oh, I'm sorry. I am am I am part owner of Twin Toe Entertainment. Um and more recently um Small House Publishing. I just started a publishing company with a um friend of mine. She and I just released our first children's book. We're working on the second. Uh Twin Tone Entertainment is working on that. I want to say this is gonna be our twelfth. Film, okay. I want to say twelve. 
All right. So here, so th and one of the reasons I, that I really wanted to um, talk to you and Trev, um, wherever he is. Well, if, we, if he's not here by the end of this, we just put out a missing person's, you know, bulletin. Absolutely. <laughs> no, 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 no. We'll give it a day and decide if we want to look for there him you go. at all. Right. <laughs> I haven't. I, you're, I'm glad you said it that way because I haven't decided whether or not I'm gonna look for him or not. Right, right, right. So it's all decided. good. So hopefully, hopefully as well. But, but one of the things that that you know with the podcast in general, pivot play is really all about, you know, the idea that life can be going along a certain way and then present you with some sort of a challenge. Conditions change, environments change, economies change, you know, right. climates change, and you have to pivot. You have to find or figure out something else to do. And so it's going from like, yeah, my life is going this way. Boom. Now I need to go this way. So, so again, so you guys, you know, go along doing, doing your thing and then um, you're in music and then shift like, and then you go on the film doing, doing music is so much easier at a certain level than doing film. Right. But what I, what I think that um, has fascinated me, with what you guys have done, it's like the way you talk about, um, you know, like the whole meetup with, with Darla is that in filmmaking, there just seems to be this community of people, mm -hmm. right? So you get these actors and you get the writers and you get directors and you get people who, you know, actually, you know, work cameras and people who work sound and, right. and then the, these people can come together and do something. And a lot of times, People are not getting paid. They really are doing it for the credits. Sure. So there's this element of camaraderie. There's this element of teamwork. So just talk to me about that dynamic and how that synergy seems to happen in filmmaking in a way that I don't see it happen in other arenas. And, uh, you know, I'm, it's, it's interesting you said that because my brother and I talk to each other all the time how we banged on so many doors and we did music for 15 years. And there was something that we could never see ourselves not doing and then introduce novels, introduce movies. And we kind of never even looked back on music. It took off faster than we imagined. And, you know, like you just said, you never know which direction life is going to take you in. And we always compare, like you just said, the, the difference in the camaraderie of filmmakers versus the music industry. And I'm not throwing shade on the music industry because of, yeah. my own experience. I can, I'm only speaking from my own experiences. Sure. Um, you know, it was all this. You know, I know you hear people say the crabs in the barrel syndrome and, you know, trying to, I haven't noticed that in the film community. I have noticed that it seems that you can't get people, like when we first did our first record back in like 1989, you know, you could go to the local merchant, the local droop dealer, the local whoever had money and they would put money into you going into the studio or whatever. But it's like now, you know, the, the local Philadelphia filmmaker, you know, goes to those same, and maybe it's the economy, I don't know, but you go to those same merchants. And I will say that filmmaking can be a little more expensive than, than making music. But it's like closed doors, closed doors. Nobody wants to take out their checkbook for independent right. filmmakers. So there's always... And so, and then, so let's talk about that. So how, how have you guys been able to finance all, your, all the work that you've done? Um, it's mostly on our own. We have had an investor or two that I really honestly believe just really, really believed in our work. And, um, we had relationships with them through family members and things like that. But to go up to like Joe Schmo stranger and say, Hey, here's my deck. Here's my business plan. You know, I want to make this film. And, you know, cause I think the reality of it is most people who there, there's a saying that goes only, only fools invest in films because unlike music, people like the same things a lot longer than they do in films because it's such a broad, uh, you're, you're catering to people who've got all these different wants. So right. a movie that may have been a success a month ago, you pitch that same script to a producer a month after that and society didn't change their mind. They don't like that kind of movie anymore. Right. So, so, why, so, so is it not coincidence that it seems like you can have movies of the same sort of type and feel that like all come out together at the same time. And not say again, it's not a coincidence. No, Be and, but, but here's the thing though. Right. So, so let's say, um, I don't know, like, I don't know. Let's take the, the whole Biden and, and Kamala Harris dynamic. 
Sure. I can see that. And I can go down this hallway, go in my studio and go clickety clack, 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 come up with some, my single, boom, boom, bam. And by the end of the night, I can have a song. Sure. That can be like, you know, distribution worthy and ready to go. Film doesn't work like that. No. Right. There's there's a much longer, you know, working process and gestation. And, and then Lord knows by the time you get done filming, I don't know if a lot of people have an appreciation for this. By the time you get done filming, then you have to go into editing. Absolutely. Right. And that that's a long time in and of itself and rendering. Sure. So there's just so much. So there's just it's a much longer process. To, so to be able to find that thing that has sort of immediate significance, you know, sort of commercial readiness and all that, I think is a much more difficult formula to try to to figure out. That's just my my view of it. Absolutely. And because you're involved in unfortunately unlike a you know music producer like yourself or a, or a painter or a sculptor you have to involve so many people in making a film is why like you just said it's not as uh to have it ready to go is not as easy as it is going to the studio making music and um you know like you said having that story having a story or having some content that people are going to say oh hey you know we love this this is the next big thing and it may even be something that was like a film that they just loved a month ago yeah. and they decide they don't like it anymore yeah, so filmmakers to me are kind of like inventors, yes. right? Like you can be tinkering away in your lab and come up with something and it could be good, it could be bad, it could fit, you know, it can it just blow up and testing, anything can happen. And then you just keep going, right? But you, you know you're after something, sometimes you don't necessarily know what it is. And so I, I do kind of look at filmmakers kind of like inventors. You might get that one big thing that, you know, everyone knows you for. Sure. Um, or they might never hear of you, right? It's certainly that that mm -hmm. possibility. So, I want I'm trying to draw a parallel to people who have a pursuit, right? Whether it's to finish their education, you know, start a business, grow a business, create a nonprofit, and when they don't see immediate results, they quit. Yeah. Right. They get discouraged. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I've known you guys for man, it's well over 10 years yes. now, mm -hmm. not longer. And you guys are still grinding, you know, and I, and I say you, you got to have a mind to grind if you're going to get your hustle muscle on, right? Yes. And you guys seemingly keep finding the energy to pursue this dream. What what keeps you engaged? Um, I would say, well, we like true stories. One thing we know that is um, will always remain about people is that they like, you take shows like the first 48 and, and all this reality TV, those things will never die. They're like, they're like the news, you know, even though we have other ways of getting the news now, people would right. tune into the news and they knew they were going to hear the same bad news every single night, but they would tune in every night to see who was killed. You know, who did at all. They didn't tune into the news to see the weather. They wanted right. to tune in to see all the bad things that they could see on the news. So we find true stories. We find stories of history. And since we've now, myself, especially myself, since I do most of the writing, I found a way to, to make stories that people could either either see themselves overcoming these obstacles and these situations, or even if it's something that they've never been through, they know someone or they could compare their story to this story and yeah. say, oh, damn, if they made it through that, like you just said, I know if they didn't give up, I know I won't give up. Right. You know, whatever whatever we feel like can can engage people's attention, inspire them. Um, and even in some cases, you know, as part of life, some things have to be let down. We got to be realistic when we're telling stories too. Some, sometimes the story's a letdown. Sometimes it's right. not a happy ending because life's not always a happy ending. Right. But, um, you know, it's important to teach people, you know, in those stories how to overcome things, how to face obstacles, even if it means it's a lose-lose situation, still how to even deal with a lose-lose situation. Right. So I know that you, you know, Troy, you act – you know, you write, which I want to guess and say that you prefer writing over acting, or is that not true? Um, actually, you know what? I enjoy, <laughs> I, I can't help write. I don't know what it is. I feel like Alexander Hamilton. It's like I write just because I can't help it, but I really do enjoy becoming other people. So I enjoy the characters, you know, developing the characters when I'm acting. So it's probably going to be a, a balance. I will say writing takes a lot more time. So, but, you know, I'm an introvert. I like being, you know, by myself and writing and reading and learning things. Um, is this a, whoa, 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 whoa. Is this a recent diagnosis that you're an introvert? 
No, no, no. This is really. Yo, even when even when I was younger, you know, I would go out because I didn't want to be the one that was the square. So, you know, I would hang out with my friends. And, but I was totally okay if no one asked me to go out to a club or to go out to a party. I was totally fine with that. Okay. So, and 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 again, I'm I'm trying to uh, for the for the sake of the audience, because like, dude, we have literally spent hours just cutting up and and just joking, yep. you know, busting on each other. Like, we mm-hmm. just. You know, like even the process when we were working on um, on the pilot, right? Which is kind of funny. Like people here, and I, I think I sent you, you guys. Um, I found some of that footage. Oh man, yeah. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it was go back memories, man. <laughs> yeah, but we had a we had a ball doing it. We all worked well together. Yeah, we did. And you had. In my opinion, anyway, you just had a bunch of people who were just funny. Absolutely. Right? Because we we never wrote a script for anything. It was like it was all, it was all like, on the spot. It was curb your enthusiasm before curb your enthusiasm, right? Like yeah. we really had an outline and just kind of brought it together. You know, you have a, a you know, really a comedic genius and Tony Roberts, comedian. Yeah. Some most people would, would know who that is, got Absolutely. special on showtime and stuff. And then you got, you know, Troy and Trevor and then me. Right. So I'm like, I'm like undercover. Like I slide in there funny. Right. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not stand up funny. I might be, I don't know. People keep asking me like, do you, you should, you know, you should do stand up. Like, yes, you know, not for a living, but you know, I, but I love it. We had a great time. And for people who don't know, cause you'll probably never see this. This was a story um, that had so many true underpinnings to right. So Absolutely. the name of the the name of the story was Darla and the Boys. So Darla was a recent divorcee that was left with this big house, um, and more ex- you know there was more expense than she had cash flow for it. Which there was some element at that time. There's some element of truth to that. And so she decided she would rent out you know rooms in her house. And so me you know the uh, the, the, the novice one of the music producer and then Troy and Trevor, the twins, um, you know, the filmmakers and then Tony Roberts, a comedian. So there's a lot of truth in it. But, man, some of those scenes were hilarious. Yes, like indeed. when you guys were you guys were trying to raise money oh, yeah, uh, man. for your. <laughs> Yo, and then we always producing Mall Girl, the song, the Mall Girl song. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> And yo, and we had no director either. We no nobody was directing us anything. We were all directing. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but anyway, so I, I know people have no idea what we're talking about. But oh yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let me let me ask you about this because I know because we talked about this in our pre-discussion is how yes. much you love technology. I, I mean, you. I, I, I do. You. <laughs> no, I'm joking. I know you're not a fan. Which is kind of odd, right? Because technology really is—it's like from going from like like leaded fuel to like high octane unleaded. Like it just helps you do so many things so much easier, right? And so I and I know we were kind of talking about software and screenwriting. I want to come back to to that because I think it's mm-hmm. important. But because of technology, right? You know, so I I you know so this is this is my phone, but dude. I can film on my phone. Exactly. I can edit, and I've seen examples of, of work that has been done yes. from a, a quality standpoint. Yes. It's phenomenal. It is. You can do, and I've seen you know people really pursue whole films on this. Like that's yep. a, that's. You think back to when you guys first started, right? Mm-hmm. That's a huge, huge leap in capability. But what it also means now is anyone who can have one of these and a, and a little know-how can now be a filmmaker, right? They can wear that label. Absolutely. So, and, and not to kind of position you as like the old school dude, right? But how, how, how do you react to this? Like this, is, this is different. How do you react to this now more portable, much more easily accessible capability when it comes to filmmaking, period. So what I'll say is, because I'm a product of both eras, um, I, in my opinion, sometimes technology, people mis, 
they confuse it for the easy button. So whereas though we come from a time where we had to cut and paste and splice film to edit, you know, today's songwriter, today's producer only knows, you know, they're one laptop and they got all that software and everything goes in there. Um, on, for me, I think that it also, in most cases and not everybody, it makes them miss detail. When you have to, when you have to drive a nail by banging it, you pay more attention to what's going on versus a nail car. You're just trying to get through it quick and easy. So if you've never cut, if you don't come from an era where you had to pay attention to detail and actually know how to build it from scratch, you're miss it's to, to me in the a filmmaker that would take an iPhone and just make an entire film with that one phone versus someone who's, you know, who knows reels, who knows that analog error. It's a it's a difference in the quality of filmmaking. And maybe I'm biased in that respect, but I think I, there's a difference in the quality of the filmmaking. So you might be bedazzled by the, how it looks. Oh, this looks phenomenal. And oh, look at the look how quality. But do you have a quality film in its entirety? Do you have a quality film? So okay, so I'm like you, and I think you 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 aptly said being a product of, of both generations. So I remember the early days of you know, so with music production. When we went from having keyboards and now they had onboard sequencers, right? Where yeah. you can now start to build your own songs actually on this piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. Well, that simple act before to pull that off, like you had to go into some sort of a studio or something. Sure. You could try to pull it off maybe with like a two or four track recorder, but quality wasn't great, but that's what we had. Right. But I, so I come from remembering being in studios and, and literally, like you said, like you bringing two pieces of music together, like yeah, where who's the person that's got you know the magnifying glass and has the the razor blade in their hand to cut it and huh? actually <laughs> cutting and splicing like and literally taping this thing together? I remember, I do, I come from that, so mm -hmm. I get it. And now in this other world where it's you know record, just delete, like you never run out of tape, right? right? As long as you still have hard drive. Mm -hmm. Edit. I can just. I don't. We don't like that note. We don't have to. You know. We don't have to redo it. I can just go right. into software. I can move this. You know. This E flat mm -hmm. to an E natural or or a D. You know. I can do that. So I think that for people who have a skill, that speed and those capabilities help for me keeps me in my creative space. Sure. I don't have to vacate my creative mind to go now do something analytical or technical. I can stay. In my creative space, there is, there is there's a value to having that capability. Sure, but maybe it weighs on me differently because I come from that other areas, that other era, and plus I'm kind of a geek at heart. Exactly. And so I'm I'm still constantly amazed by just the fact that we can do it. Now it has impacted the industry, right? There are tons of big rooms, as we used to call them, the big studios, that would have cost you 150, 300 dollars an hour to get into. Yes that a lot of them have shut down Absolutely. because people have realized that I don't have to go there to do this. And there is still, you know, Grammy award winning projects that are done on really small digital setups. Sure. So I, I said all that to say and try to get you on the record with this. Cause now my next question is this, mm -hmm. as you look across the, the interweb, right? There are tons of, all these little mini series, right? And some of them put out by comedians and get some actors. So it's like now anyone with a couple cameras and a microphone can kind of have their own show on the internet, right? They put on YouTube, Facebook, whatever, and they have an audience. Yes. Right now, I'm now from my perspective, I'm not going to say that it's great acting, right? I'm mm -hmm. not going to say that it's great writing. But it does have an audience. Sure. What's your What's your response to that? So, and I try I try to just say things without sounding like grumpy a grumpy old man. Um, but it's, again, this is just you know my my experience and my opinions on things. And this is the word the gospel according to Troy Parham. I believe that right now people are accepting what they can get: sports, entertainment. It, this constant battle of who's the better is LeBron going to be better than Jordan? Is this like you're saying? Is this digital filmmaking better than 
what these people have to understand is this. You're comparing an error of easy buttons to an error of DIY. Um, you're comparing an error of, of anything goes and all these freedoms and open this and open that versus an error of different restrictions and different obstacles to overcome to get things done. Um, I've met a lot of young filmmakers that are in school that we've hired to do projects. And surprisingly enough, when you're asking them about what their favorite things are, they're talking about black and white movies. Mm -hmm. So here's a person that knew that they needed that they need that essence of this business to be good at what they're doing. They can't come out and say, oh, where'd you learn how to screw? Oh, you know what? I went out and watched the Matrix and that's how I learned. That's what you learned from Matrix. Nothing before that. Not Return of the Jedi. Not, you know, so they know that they need that history. They need to know that stuff to be considered good at what they're doing. Right. So, they, but, and so I, I, I sometimes refer to it as the, the, <laughs> the dumbing of America, right? I mean, sure. And I think that people's attention span is short, um, but I think that their palate is underdeveloped in a way, right? And this is just me using big words to be grumpy old man, right? Probably um, in some ways, but I mean, I don't, yeah, okay, I'm gonna do it. It's my podcast, I'll just do it, right? Like I'll pick on rap, right? Like this whole genre or category was called mumble rap, which may be very appealing to some people, to me, I was like, I don't know the substance, right? And, you know, or some of these people who are quote unquote singers, and the fact that there's a tone coming out of their mouth, whether it's on key or not, or flat or sharp, is deemed singing. I'm like, oh, I guess it is. But, and so now that we have, like you said, you know, just this plethora of easy buttons, you don't put Pandora back in the box. Like that stuff, it's not going to go backwards no way um but how does that challenge what you do like i said you know we'll talk and we really will get to the screenwriting piece but these are things that take time to develop a story mm -hmm. right to develop these characters and a plot and the sequencing and how you bring things together right in terms of how things work and if you have people just like you know in a kind of in a way dude it's almost like the way we did darwin the boys right we took right. a bunch of talented people and we were able to put something together. Now, granted, other than cracking us up and, you know, it never really saw the light of day. We didn't right. pursue it in that way. But is that, is it, it's kind of the same thing, right? It is. It's kind of, it's kind of darling the boys with an audience. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So, but then at the other side of me, it says, it's like you take someone who's been raised on fast food, you know, and you take them to a five-star restaurant, which has this highly developed, very sophisticated <laughs> menu yep. with all these, this great mix of flavors that people spend a lot of time working on. And they look through the menu. They don't see a lot of words that they know. They don't see things or combinations of things that they think would taste good. And the first thing I ask is, you have a hamburger? Right. You got a that's the, that's the, right. You have, so people yeah. attempt to, to bail sometimes on, quality because they just don't know what it is right Absolutely. and it's kind of kind of interesting i don't even know how people hearing this would, would take it because they because again we're in a similar we've been in similar areas and, and working together so i think that people who are in business um generally i think think the same way like we're talking about more on the creative side in the arts but i think business is pretty much the same way i think that a merchant today probably has just as much frustration with trying to figure out who's their customer. Sure. Because the customers are so finicky, because the customers aren't really loyal, it's very difficult for a merchant, person with a storefront business, whether it's a restaurant or some sort of trade or whatever, because, you know, people's like, I'm just looking for the lowest price. Absolutely. Right? I'm looking for what's the cheapest, what's the fastest. So I think that the appetite in general for quality and maybe some of that appreciation is not there, which in my opinion, Troy, really makes it more difficult for somebody like you. Um, so I'll say, I know we talked earlier, so you take a company like Disney. Disney's built their brand, and their brand is going to be their brand. It's never going to die. It's never going to get bad. 
it's almost like like back to sports like i was saying you recruit i as a, as a screenwriter i know i know the mechanics of putting a screenplay together and i know i know what a good story is um mm-hmm. do i know what people are going to want from day to day not necessarily so i surround myself with people who have their ear to the streets on those kind of things we love hiring students because they're up to what their generation wants um and they're good they're hard workers too if you got a set full of student filmmakers man i'm telling you they work not that the older guys don't work hard too but they're, they're trying to make a name for themselves so yeah. they really work hard they work hard and you find those that are willing to listen to direction and willing to learn and we learn from them also so it's right. like bridging the gap i don't think that it's an industry that either could survive alone i don't think a 22 year old can come out and start making films without having that knowledge of going to going with the wind or you know knowing the the, the history of george where how george lucas got his start or without knowing those things i don't think they're going to come out and be a blockbuster filmmaker you need that history just like we need to have our ear open to them telling us try this try that yo this is hot right now like you said now put this mumble rapper on the soundtrack and the soundtrack gonna blow up well i'm not i'm not a fan of the mumble rapper but i'm not a music maker either so i'm gonna listen to people who know right so for the sake of the audience explain what a screenplay is please a screenplay um so i in my opinion this a screenplay is a literary orchestra and when i say that because i've written plays i've written screenplays i've written novels and i will say that a screenplay is the most difficult one to write because in a novel you're speaking in one voice um in a screenplay you have to develop all these different voices from in most cases just one person or maybe two writers i've never seen like a screenplay written by 10 people like sitcoms get written that way but a screenplay most of the time is written by one or maybe two people so in order to know all the elements that go into and here's a here's a huge mistake a lot of screenwriters make right out the gate they they think that they're writing a movie you're not writing a movie because movies are motion movies are filmed they're not written a screenplay mm-hmm. is written it's a literary work and it's supposed to be a story you're telling a story in your screenplay you know don't people spend so much time on the pov and a close-up of this and you know i think it would be good to zoom here and that's not your job unless you're directing and writing the screenplay then that's different but in most cases as a as a um garden variety screenwriter you're supposed to tell the story you're supposed to develop those characters you're supposed to give them flaws you're supposed to know when they're supposed to have their arc and you're supposed to know when this story breaks into the second act and breaks into the third act and how you're going to have a really strong closing and how that really strong closing closes ties in with the beginning of the story it sounds simple in theory but it really isn't and so many people miss the mark on it because they don't take the time to actually study and find out how to make it work so it's, it, it, there's, level, there's levels to this there's levels to it, it troy for the record it, it does not sound simple all that stuff you just said does not sound simple at all <laughs> just just be that's just Let's be very clear about that. It does not sound. Maybe it's just because I love it's because I love it so much. It's just when I when I took my first I took a course at um, New York Film um, Institute. And when the very first instructor I had broke down a scene from The Godfather and I've seen that movie 20 times. But when he explained what was going on in that scene from a writer's standpoint, I just left with my jaw to the ground like all this time. I think, you know, every you know, you don't know shit. Excuse my mm-hmm. friends, but you don't know shit. <laughs> Seriously, you know that you enjoyed it, but if you had to sit and write it and explain to everybody what's going on in that scene and why, you know, explain what the what the antagonist in that scene wants and what he's going about to get it and what's in the way of him getting it and and why this person why the why the, the protagonist wants to stop him and what's their motivation and and what do they have in, in common is he broke down the whole scene and i'm just like am i sure i want to be a screenwriter right i thought i do i had written scripts before that i'm like yeah i don't know shit. i don't know shit. <laughs> so let me make a confession to you i have never seen the godfather wow <laughs> but i have seen the matrix like 20 times wow so yeah i don't i don't know just I don't it know is. something about stats. Do you realize how many times I could sit down and like right now I could break down the screenplay to the Matrix to someone who's not a screenwriter and they will look at it completely different. They enjoyed it. 
they enjoyed the the effects, they enjoyed the fight scenes and the music and the the way it was edited. But really, to explain to someone Neo's journey from beginning to end and exactly what points everything happened to him in the story and through the screenplay, they would probably never look at the film the same way again. They would still enjoy it, but they would. So see we, it. so we know that that Neo is a, like a Jesus archetype, right? We, right. Like we, right. we again. I've seen that that movie twenty times and probably all of the trilogy. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of the whole development of the story, what I what I think is particularly interesting, in you know, say, like a like a Matrix, like that trilogy. I don't know if people sure. have seen it, but it really is amazing on so many level, right? Levels because it's not you get this story of of Neo, um, but then you just get this whole construct of the Matrix. Yes. Well. The Matrix to me is really just a blown out conversation of quantum physics, quantum mechanics, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, the, the seventh dimension. Like there's just a lot of things in there. And now some of the bases of something like the Matrix reminds me of the 13th floor. Sure. sure. If you, I'm sure you, you've seen it, right? Which I a lot of people have it. Go see the 13th floor. It will blow your mind. Yeah. Right. It's such a simple, right. Um, and so there's there's a lot to unpack and unfold, and I think that's the reason why it's an easy movie to watch. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the development of the, a screenplay, when you're going to have a trilogy, like you got to be thinking about all that stuff up front. Mm-hmm. And I think it's more a surprise to the audience. It's like, oh, there's a Matrix 2. Oh, there's a Matrix 3. Mm-hmm. And being able to bring all those elements together. Mm-hmm. And so I find that fascinating. And I think probably w- one of the franchises that is the most sophisticated with it to me mm-hmm. has got to be the Marvel franchise. Absolutely. You, right? can take, you can take the Marvel franchise and go all the way back to the first Iron Man. And you remember at the end of the film where he confesses that he's Iron Man in front of all the news media. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the way the film ends. Right. Um, fast forward to show you, again, brilliant writing and guys who on that team who knew already where the franchise was going. It's hard to believe that these guys already had 10, 12, 15 screenplays in their mind and exactly where they wanted to go with it. But that's why Marvel makes the big bucks. Right. You fast and, they, and, they, and they drop those nuggets in there, right? Sure. Like the whole revelation of Captain Marvel and Bob. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's... So he survived. He survived where he was, and he made the Iron Man suit, and you know he became Iron Man, and then he confessed that he was Iron Man at the end of the film. And then there's Endgame, and mm-hmm. that, that, brilliant, that brilliant villain in Thanos who... Because when once you get a villain who in a, in essence is noble, he really felt like what he was doing was it was it had some nobility to it. You mm-hmm. know, he felt like I'm doing you all a favor. I don't want to kill you, but you're in my way. Because he right. was so unbeatable that you know, and they they embed that in your mind in the opening scene of the first one when he body slams the Hulk, who can ultimately can't be beat, right? So here's a guy that pretty much toyed around and slapped him around like he was his pimp, and then body slammed him. So now for the rest of that film, you're like, what the fuck are they going to do with this guy? Right. Right. All the way to the end of the second film, which was they brought everybody back well, and they well, have this ultimate standoff and fight. And, and then at the end. It will be clear, though. This is so, so geeky, right? But Thanos really punked the Hulk and Bruce Banner, right? Remember, the Hulk didn't want to come out. Couldn't even, didn't want to come out. Mm-hmm. He didn't know I want to come out. He's like, no, oh, that was not, that was no, not fun. What just, what just happened there? I'm not, I'm not coming out. But I think that the, the, the forethought and the sophistication, right? Now, we, we deal with this in other arenas, right? Again, your favorite topic, like, you know, technology. Right. You know, and people don't understand that, by and large, most companies, by the time they put out version one, which is really just a sophisticated beta test, most of the stuff it's is never test. ready. It's just testing, yeah. 1.0 of anything is a good thing to stay away from, right? But, sure. but they've already thought out the history of that piece of software, maybe for the next 10 years, right? Yep. And they leave, and, and the, the, the importance is, and you think about it, the same way we're talking about telling these stories, is to build this foundation that we, that 
we can add to it, supplement, and you know, really make it diverse without ever having to do what we call a forklift upgrade. I never have to go back and restart the whole storyline, right? Exactly. And rewrite the whole piece of software. It's always because it's it, one is to my economic advantage to do that, sure. right? To be able to to have these iterations as opposed to a complete and total utter destruction Absolutely. of the platform. And so I think that movies and and um, and screenwriting, mm -hmm. there there is a brilliance to it, right? Absolutely. Um, and people who can can really think ahead. Um, you know, the the last one I'll mention was when, and I, I keep going to these superhero movies, but when the uh, Batman versus Superman yes. movie, and then the beginning of that movie was actually the ending of the Superman movie. You know, going against Zod, but now you're seeing it from a completely different perspective. Exactly. Really, and it was literally an on-the-ground view of what was happening above and the destruction that it brought down, and how exactly. this kind of created this animosity between these two characters. So, yeah. um, but I, so I think there there is something to be said for just thinking through something, and and how do you take people on a journey. And I and think they take, that they think far ahead. When you're talking franchise like George Lucas, he already had Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, and and Empire Strikes Back. Empire. They were already done before he we even saw Star Wars. He knew that Empire Strikes Back was going to be the darkest and most difficult for all the main characters. And then Return of the Jedi was going to be the homecoming and the victory. He had right. he was thinking three films ahead when you're thinking franchise. They're already thinking ahead. Right. And Fast and the Furious falls into that as, Absolutely. as well. Um, and even with the untimely death of one of the stars, he just happened to have a twin brother. Yep. See? So, yep. you, know, you know, Trevor may come in handy. He one might. Day. He one might day. have never I'm good. Listen, now I might look for him. Now that you mentioned that, I might actually look for him. Right. Because <laughs> now we found, a, we found a purpose for him now, yeah. So how is it just because you guys are twins, you've been able to do all this work together? No. If people listen, if we could put a hidden microphone in the in the room when we when we do things, people wouldn't believe how much we fight. I well, I've seen some of the disagreements. I will, I won't call them <laughs> fights, but I've seen. But but you guys could just as easily decide to go on your own, you know. But you guys have been at it. So let's say let's leave the music from the first day that you guys started to do film, or maybe when you started to write, Mister Malik. Mm -hmm. How many years has it been that you guys have been working together like this? 30. Right. So I'm, I'm going to say the fact that you're twins, I, some of that glue has to be in that. Yeah. Right. Because absolutely. 30 years, Trevor can be a bit of a pain in the butt. And now I'm just mm -hmm. picking on him because he's not here. Mm -hmm. And he should have been. So I'm just, I'm a ragging and absolutely. he can call me up later, but I'm going to always be bigger than him. So whatevs. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, he's got he's got no shot. But that's you guys right. did you guys did give me my nickname of Tony Stark. So I nice. and I still have that little model um on the uh Iron Man on the ATV sits in the studio. It's listen, still there. We knew you would enjoy yeah. it. We knew you would enjoy that. So a lot, a lot of his character. Listen, you guys gonna tell me you don't see a lot of you in his character. I don't. I don't know how you guys even seriously, I don't even know how you guys came up with that. I that technology, come from? the technology, the 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 pimp. Uh, the all is it? All of this? That's it's all you. It's all you. He said the all those things that he told Captain America. He was billionaire, philanthropist, genius, playboy, all playboy. that. All, <laughs> all four. The four food groups of Tony Stark. The four food groups. <laughs> That's hilarious, and that is where the red and the microphone came from. This is a. These are. I say have two of these. My daughter was just on an episode with me the other day. I have two nice. of these. Custom-made microphones, and they are painted red because you guys gave me that nickname back Tony then, Stark, which, listen, which I just learned today why you gave it to him. So thank you so it much. It will for live that. forever. Yeah, we saw a lot of his characteristics in you, and it just popped. It came right to us like a like a yeah. epiphany. Right now, so you guys have done some television stuff as well. So tell the audience about the TV stuff you've done. Oh, uh, we've done. A, we did a show called um, Evil Twins. A lot of the stuff was reenactment stuff. Uh, we did a show called um, For My Woman. Uh, that one was pretty interesting. I played, we played twin brothers that owned a funeral home. Um, and <laughs> the older brother, who was my character, was his wife, came up with the brilliant idea of taking people's money and actually storing the bodies somewhere else and not burying them like they were paid to do. Um, so ultimately, somebody was 
glance chancing by the, the property one day and you know all the rotting bodies well, clearly you you can imagine how that smelled and uh yeah they got, they got caught and they you know went to jail and it was crazy did that uh, story make national news i kind of think I oh remember yeah it made that. National i kind of remember that story yeah, oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i think they were from like atlanta or somewhere somewhere down in georgia but yeah they were literally like you know taking people's money performing the service and then having people bring the bodies back to them and they put the body somewhere and not put it in the ground, reuse the casket and everything. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it's efficient. Yeah, it Gross. is. It that's is. horrible. Listen, no, that's, that's horrible. My business was bad. So I guess, you know, they had to do what they had to do. That, that, that's horrible. So at this, at this stage in the game, um, and, and I won't keep you much longer, um, but so how do you define success for what you've done and what you're doing? Uh, as you said, I'd say stick stick at it. Once we decided that my brother's a little different than I am, but for me personally, because I don't believe that uh, I don't measure my success by money or I don't measure it by, you know, awards or things, winning contests or things like that. Once you once you wrap your head around that success is about your level of success and being happy with what you're doing and and making a positive impact on people you know, you'll, that's what, what success is defined by me. You know, I feel like I, when I set out to make a, to write a book, I wrote it. When I set out to make a film, I, I made it several, but, and I'm doing others. So when you're doing what you set out to do, that's success. If you know, you're not, you don't, and I don't even think it's a failure if you don't get it, as long as you're always trying to accomplish that. But when you, you know, say action from the time that you started a movie, until the day you finish it, then it's edited and you can look at it, even if it's just you looking at it yourself. You set out to make a film and you made it. All right. So, so what's, so, man, all right, this is gonna be a tough and perhaps unfair question, but I'm gonna ask it anyway. So with all the things that you've done, right? So you guys have, you know, you've written and put out books, you, you, you know, you've written and, and put films together and brought all these people together and these teams and did all this wonderful stuff and the film festivals and, uh, the television work, what has been the one moment that in your work that has touched you so deeply that it brought tears to your eyes? We did a film. We did a film called um, Lost Light Sound Hearts. It was. The oh, that's about the. the um, oh, no, 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 no. Hold up. Uh, who was going blind? Someone was going. Both. They were both going blind. Okay. All right. Tell, you can tell that. But I, I want to know the moment that was emotional for you. So the two brothers were, um, they were deaf. And then they started to go blind when they got in like their late 30s, early 40s years of age. And they wanted to have themselves killed. And their country was legal to have yourself euthanized because they couldn't stand not to be able to see or hear each other again. Um, so it was almost like, for me, the, the moment that I, and it was good because we needed this reaction, but uh, the contacts that we were wearing in our eyes actually did impair our vision some. And when we were shooting the last scene, which was like the suicide scene, you know, uh, for some reason, developing the character and really getting into character in that moment and actually thinking about, you know, leaving this earth and thinking about, you know, not seeing my brother again. And, you know, that whole that whole thing actually really did bring tears up my eyes. OK, did he have a similar reaction? He did. He did. Okay. Yeah, we got we spent a lot of time getting connected with each other as far as that part. And then you remember it was a silent. We didn't have any dialogue in the film because we were deaf. So everything mm -hmm. that we did was through, you know, body language and through touch. And, you know, there's a lot of moments where we were just reaching out for each other because we couldn't really see. But we were reaching out for each other and trying to, you know, bring the character together by touch. And, you know, just seeing what, what blind people who are even partially blind, seeing what they go through. That was rough to deal with. All right. And I've done, um, you know, like I, I think some of the moments that most easily come back to mind is, you know, like the live events, whether it's been a, a play or, you know, I've done a lot of live recording. So, you know, that there's this whole buildup to it, right? It could be weeks or months of, of, of preparing and rehearsals and stuff. Yes. And so I can remember in a couple of live recording situations when the concert actually starts and, they, and, the, and the red light is on and playing that first note. And I think there's, for me, there can be somewhat of a, just an emotional response to that, 
just because it's like now you're in the moment. I like clearly got to focus, right? You got a whole thing to pull off, right? Especially Absolutely. in live recordings are different than being in the studio or being, you know, um, being the pit band for a play, right? You got to be mm -hmm. on top of all the cues and, you know, the background music and all that sort of stuff. Yes. But I found some of those moments, but I think it's just because of the buildup is so much work to get to that point. Exactly. And then to see it coming together the starting of it has actually been if there's been an emotional moment it's actually been more at the start than at the ending of it for me sure so talk about some of the things you guys have done in the preparation for a role right so i know some that you guys have had to learn new skills uh what's the one skill where you you know you, you jump in over buildings and bricks and what's what's it called uh you know through parking lots and i don't know what it's called what's it called cyclones <laughs> No, it's not the Cyclones. It's the other movie. It was the oh man, come on. Uh, uh, uh it's not. It's it, clearly it's not gymnastics. I'm just going for dumb words now. Um, oh, um, uh, come on. I know. Why am I not? Why is my, I'm having a brain fart? Uh, and this is and this is and this is. <laughs> he said, jumping through walls and cars. <laughs> Not through walls, over walls, over bricks. You know, you know what I mean. It's like it's a lot of parking lot and apartment building type stunts. You know what? It, you don't know. What see, and this would be the one place where Trevor would come in handy. Yeah, absolutely, right now, because he would know that stuff. He would know that. Yeah, he would. Yeah, but he you would. guys have done things where you've done training. So just talk mm -hmm. about prep for for movie parts. And then I'm gonna tell you the one that you guys have not taken on. And I'm telling you right now, with, with your brother will see this. <laughs> and I'm saying it to everyone that you'll show this to and everyone I'll show it to. I'm calling you guys out. I'm uh -huh. calling you soft for not taking on this one, this, this one, uh, this one twin story. But anyway, so talk about your prep and then I'm going to punk you. Watch what happens. So it depends. Um, Sometimes, like I said, we do a lot of true life stuff. So like we wrote the script for the Whispers film and we spent a lot of time on the road with those guys. Um, you know, it's been, I've never been a singer uh, and, we, I remember, I still remember this one time they brought us out on stage. They were doing the beat goes on because that was the name of the film. They were doing the beat goes on, and I want to say we were in like we were in like Virginia or somewhere. Um, and that was the last song they were doing. They brought us out, and we performed one song with them. Now, mind you, they're eighty years old. We performed one song with them, and my ass was kicked. Okay, I'm talking about y'all do this night in and night out, and I'm a young. I was a young man at the time. It was like three years ago. I'm like, I can't. I don't know how y'all do this. I was done. I went home and I went back to the hotel, slept that night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was just performing one song. That's all I did. <laughs> so after that, Trev and I said, listen, man, I know we think we're in shape. It's almost like people tell you you're in shape until you get into a fight. You know, oh, mm -hmm. I can play basketball for hours. You know, I can do these things. But until you get into something that is really straining you mentally, physically, and everything, you don't realize how out of shape you are. Right. So um, we definitely always, whenever we're preparing for a role, it's always a heavy workout regimen, a heavy diet regimen. We do 10 day green cleanses. Um, and then we do a lot of working out, a lot of making sure we get our rest. Uh, we spend a lot of time with each other, uh, drilling each other as far as the dialogue goes, because we criticize ourselves. We're our own biggest critic. So we're always running lines on each other. Like, how's this sound? How's that sound? How should I say it like this? Or especially if it's a conversation that we're having together. Um, we want to make sure it hits home and it feels natural. So we do a lot of running lines with each other. Right. So, All right, so, so let me, let me tell you that the part that I think you guys are afraid of, and you can right. prove, you can prove me wrong. Okay. I would love to see you guys take on the twins. Which do you one? know who they are? Which ones? Like twins. No, these these are the like what is guys six six. They're like these world renowned dancers. Okay, you had to have seen these guys. You had to have seen these guys. Tap dancers or no no. This is like um, kind of hip hop ish like modern. Yeah, it's the it's the modern. And there's, and there's six foot six. They're not there. I think they're that tall and they are that talented. I cannot believe that the twins. If you put in go on the Twitter, go on the Facebook, put L E twins. And you okay. will find they are amazing, um, okay. but they're very much connected. Like these guys are on stage um, and some of their routines are not choreographed. They just work with each other and practice with each other so much that you and there it could be in perfect synchronicity. Um, oh, the twins. Okay. 
They're twins. So, yeah, go look them up. All right. And I'm challenging you. If you guys could pull off even a minute and a half of anything that they do, and can then you then you road dogs. You are you are dogs. I can't dogs. be I can't be six foot six, but I, I could I, I challenge accepted <laughs> on the rest. Well, no, you, I'm gonna give you guys. I'm gonna, you can take it down the foot because that's about where you guys. All right, that'll are. work. You that's, perfect. <laughs> that's perfect. Now, I challenge accepted on the roll, but I can't change. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, but the the fact that that these guys are twins, they've been around for long. I'm just surprised that because you guys are connected to so many other sort of twin. Twin. What's the, what's the greatest? What's the best advantage to being a twin? Oh my goodness! You know what I tell people, and there's another back to me being introverted. I, uh, you never, I never had many friends, neither one of us. We always, everybody knew us, but we only had a select and, and any given time in our lives, we only had a handful of friends because we always had each other. So it wasn't, you know, we weren't in need of a friend because I always had my brother. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's probably the, the biggest advantage for us is that we always knew you got somebody you can count on no matter what. Somebody, right. that's gonna, you know, go through every journey with you and, you know, we just happen to be. I've seen twins that can't that hate each other, which I don't understand how that is. But you know, my brother and I always been close, so we always had somebody that was going to ride with us. You know, we were going to ride with each other no matter what. Okay, so that's what's up. Um, so, so do me a favor, and then really, you know, we kind of mess with with uh, with Trev, but this is they, people, <laughs> don't, people don't know this is mild. If we were all in the same room, we would skewer oh, and, yeah. and barbecue each other. Absolutely. And it would be, and it, it would all be love. It'd be all. <laughs> sure. He's he's really the one that gets it started. He's like hammer. Let's get it started. He's always the one that gets that stuff started. Yeah, and he's, he's and then he's, you're glad to play along. You're happy to play. Oh, dude, bring it. I, <laughs> listen, I bring it. I'm there. I'm there for it. I am not Indeed. afraid. Indeed. We used to do that back in high school. Um, we used to have a lunch table. You know, the round lunch table. You all right? And, oh. Yeah, you get something. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the phone. <laughs> no, so, no, I'm being interviewed. Is what I'm being. Exactly. I'm That's what I mean. Come on, down to be an interview, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, we would sit around at this these round tables at lunch, and we would just we would just bust on each other, man. We would yeah. just go at each other, and the king would the next day would have like they would put like two or three chairs on because they would stack. Sure. And you were the, you were the king, and then you had to be dethroned. You know, so we, wow. we, we, yeah, we went at each other like as a sport. So, you know, when, when Trev starts that nonsense, I'm like, dude. You said, I'm, you said, I'm I, all for it. You said, I'm all for it. <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm, I'm deemed lethal in 49 states, man. You do not. You said, let me, said, let me clear my throat. Hold on. Let me clear <laughs> my throat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Hilarious. I, and I stopped, man, please. Yeah. So, again, we, yeah, we've had so much, so much great fun together. So, before I, before I end this, I was trying to, I was trying to drag it a little bit to see if, if Trev could get on, and just as soon as he said hello, I was going to end the interview just, anyway. Right there, yeah, right there. Awesome, it's like, hey, you know, like, that would have been awesome, man. Oh my god. <laughs> so again, so so um, so again, appreciate you for taking the time. I'm really super happy that we decided to proceed in Trev's absence. So I hope Absolutely. he's it all all is well with with him and whatever it is that that he, he got would. he got he got pulled into. So. Uh-huh. Um, but no, seriously, dude, it's it's really great to, to speak with you. It's been a it's been a minute. Yes, sir. Um, but I'm glad you guys are doing well and uh, hanging in there. Any any final words uh, to the to the audience? Um, I want to well to you first of all. Thanks for actually thinking of us and having us on here. It has been a while. We got to make sure we stay in touch. You know, it shouldn't be years or months in between that we that we get together or, or at least talk and you know catch up and. Uh, you know, any filmmakers or writers or anybody out there that, that you know, is whatever your dream is, whatever it is you're chasing, I would just say stay at it and just know that don't let other people give you what their idea of your success should be. You know, you got to your success should be how you feel. Right. So and how how would people reach you or, or Trev, who don't even know who that is? Yeah. <laughs> well, you can find us. It's really easy. Every all our social media pages are Troy Trevor Parham. It's just one word. T R O Y T R E V O R P A R H A M. Just like just like that. Just like that. Troy Trevor Parham on Twitter, Troy Trevor Parham on Facebook, Troy Trevor Parham on Instagram. So where what about Twin Tone, which is with two eyes? Two eyes. T W I I N T O N E Entertainment. 
The right. same way on all those pages. As long as you don't forget the I, you'll find us. T-W-I-I-N-T-O-N-E Entertainment. Oh, LinkedIn oh, too. That's on, we're on LinkedIn, but all everything is the same. No fancy names. Troy Trevor Parham or Twin Tone Entertainment. My man. All right, dude. Hey, be well. Yes, sir. Again, that dude, I'm going to get him. We gotta. We, we may have to come back just to... Have one we, just we, for we, him. We, you could just square up and just go in on him. Yeah. Oh, man. It'll, sure. be, it'll be part two, but it will be brutal. Absolutely. It'll be like a, it'll be a cage <laughs> match of just him getting skewered. He can, sure. I'm going for that. I would love, I want a front seat for that.